Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Much of the UK rail network has been paralysed this week as a well-supported strike by RMT members has been held across the country. This has divided the political parties with the in-power Conservatives, blaming the not-in-power and not-really-supportive Labour Party. While some rail is devolved in Wales, much isn't, and the country has also been without much of a service. This is all at a time when numbers remain below pre-pandemic levels and Wales pursues a major upgrade in many areas, most notably in the southeast, where the network is being rebranded as a metro. Joining us tonight are Professor Stuart Cole, Emeritus Professor of Transport, Economics and Policy at the University of South Wales. Good evening, Kerry. And Gemma Southgate, Executive Committee Member for the TSSA Union, which represents thousands of other members across the UK and Ireland. She is also Chair of Women in Rail Wales and has been working in the rail industry for the past eight years. Hi, Gemma. Good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you, Kerry. Gemma, if I, if I can start with you, you know, you, you are in that trade union position, but a different union to the RMT. This is the largest rail strike in 30 years. Can you set the scene on what exactly is happening in the, in the industry here? That's right, yes. So um, within Wales, Transport for Wales are not in dispute with any unions at present, um, but this is a Department for Transport UK-wide issue. So for those not familiar, strike action happens when disputes can't be resolved through negotiations. Uh, So a ballot is called. uh, The members then use the ballot to vote in favour of strike action or action short of strike action. So in this instance, um, strike action um, has been balloted for. So there's action currently taking place uh, today on the 23rd, on the 25th. So the RMT union have been seeking to work with the government and employers for almost two years now to try and address the challenges facing the railway industry. That includes jobs, conditions um, and also pay. So there was a 71% turnout, uh, nine in one favour of strike action. I think the ballot was almost four weeks ago now and RMT have been using that time to try and seek a resolution. But... Government ministers in England are are not meeting to try and resolve this um, and they're not allowing the individual train operating companies to negotiate on an individual basis. You know, people think that pay is always the key aspect of any industrial action, but in this instance, it's the threat of thousands of compulsory redundancies, which could mean, you know, increased risks on safety and critical infrastructure, less staff on stations and trains, and the closure of nearly all ticket offices in, in England. So, you know, this has been done under the guise of modernisation. Um, but, you know, from the position of, of myself at TSSA and RMT, you know, it's the managed decline of our railways where cuts will worsen service for, for passengers. So that's kind of the background of them at the moment. But as I mentioned, you know, Transport for Wales are not in dispute with any unions. But because the uh, Network Rail, which is a national organisation, are in dispute, no trains are able to operate um, because Network Rail look after the infrastructure in Wales. So I think there's only a very few limited services have been able to operate um, on the core valley lines the past past few days when industrial action have, have taken place. So that's, that's the background. Thanks, Gemma. That's really useful. Stuart, so what Gemma kind of said there, this is essentially an England-based strike, but mm-hmm. this is impacting Wales. You know, what, what, how is that happening on the ground? Why is Wales being brought into this kind of position? Well, the drivers, conductors and other staff employed by TFW Rail, which is the government-owned, most government-owned uh, railway operator for the majority of services 
within Wales and excluding the North Wales and South Wales main line, all the train services within Wales. The problem lies in the fact that network rail are also, and network rail workers are also uh, in dispute with network rail. And network rail controls, as Emma said, the vast majority of track in Wales, track signalling, that kind of thing, which has to be operating fully before trains can run. Now, there was a section of valley lines uh, north of Radir where the employment is now by transport for Wales Rail. That means that the, the people working there are not in dispute with TFW, they're in dispute with the other train companies. Eventually, when the whole of, as you called it, the, the, the metro, um, that's valley lines, as it's known uh, probably to most people, all that will be under the control of TFW Rail in terms of trains and the Welsh Government in terms of the ownership of the track, which means that in a future dispute, if it was just the same as this one, then all the trains in the Cardiff commuter area would be working. Unfortunately, we are affected by the network rail um, staff are going on strike and therefore no trains at all in most of Wales on the network rail network except Cardiff to uh, the tunnel uh, which was opened to keep the Great Western Trains services running to Paddington and then on the non-strike days if you like the services from Swansea because the, the whole of the South Wales main line to Swansea is open. Um, now that's been the, the reason for the impact on Wales. The staff in Wales are not in dispute with TFW Rail. One of the things which came out of one of the Senate debates this week between quite emotive discussions between uh, Conservatives and Labour, the First Minister mentioned that network rail staff were pulled out of Wales so we, could, so we couldn't run as many services. Is that something which happened and is that the normal course of how things happen with network rail that they brings move staff to the most in-demand area, Stuart? Well, it depends what the situation is. People working for Network Rail can, as with most companies, have within their contract uh, a requirement to work anywhere. Of course, practicalities make that difficult to uh, carry out. And on a sort of regular basis with people chopping and changing all the time, people tend to work on a particular area. They also have to learn the signalling system of that area. So it's not an efficient use of staff to have people who are expert in the railway network throughout Wales, Scotland and England. So people tend to work in a particular area from a particular signal box, either the small boxes like Pantafanon on the Heart of Wales line to the very big boxes at Cardiff, which control enormous stretches of, uh, of track. So under normal circumstances, there would be no massive movement. What's happened here is that uh, Network Rail have, for example, take the, the Cardiff to... Uh, to, to Bristol Parkway section. In order to run Great Western services from Cardiff to Paddington, it was necessary to put staff in place who are not on strike. Um, I know some signal staff weren't on strike, but also there are a significant number of managers who have come up the traditional way in the railway, up through the ranks, as it were, and have the necessary skills to safely operate the signalling system uh, within that area. The difficulty arises, of course, if there's some maintenance issue and there are not sufficient maintenance staff to, say, fix a piece of broken rail, uh, which can happen. That fortunately didn't happen for the passengers over 
uh, yesterday. And so those trains were able to run using managerial staff to run the signalling on those few lines that were running throughout Wales, Scotland and England. So Cardiff to, uh, to Paddington is the one that affects us. Nothing in North Wales. Uh, West Coast Main Line was operating, but not going into North Wales. East Coast Main Line operating and some other services here and there. Thanks, Stuart. Gemma, with, with your union hat on, there's been a lot of polls around this particular strike and uh, Mick Lynch is uh, currently a uh, social media favourite with the way he's handling the media. But generally, the polls across the UK are actually supportive of the strike at the moment. But there was a poll in Wales this week that uh, showed that the strike is actually better supported here than in other parts of Britain. Why do you think that is? You know, within Wales, we, you know, we have um, a Welsh Labour administration in, in the Senate, but also there's that era of, of working within social partnerships. So, you know, in, in Wales, the Welsh Government are guaranteed no compulsory redundancies. They've protected staffing levels and they support the roles of the booking offices. So there's a strong trade union movement uh, within Wales and people are voting um uh, you know, for a, for a Labour administration. So I guess there's more maybe of a natural inclination to have more of an affinity with uh, trade unions and, and their values and, you know, the things that they're trying to look after here, which is terms and conditions, job security and pay. But yeah, uh, I think um, uh, Mr Lynch has been doing a, a great job on social media, but also on the news in keeping a level head and, you know, calling out issues that he's seen. People are saying that, you know, the unions are not, willing to um you know go and negotiate and that that's simply not true that you know i think that's been um a great thing to see this week is that it's a really level-headed um opposition to maybe the narrative that people are against the strikes that it's hugely disruptive you know that's what industrial action is supposed to be so yeah i think that's probably the difference in, in wales but also generally the positive sentiment um in, in the uk overall i think you know, people are seeing that squeeze in there due to the cost of living crisis, and maybe they can feel more affinity with with workers because of that. You know, it's impacting everybody at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a fair comment. Stuart, do you have any thoughts on the, how this is playing out in the political sphere? The Conservatives are seeming blaming Labour and mentioning the 1970s, and Labour doesn't feel like they're overly supportive in in the in the UK level. You know, how, how do you think this could play out? Gemma is, is far more of an expert on this than I am because she's right in the middle of that relationship between the Welsh Government and uh, the trade unions in Wales. Obviously, uh, it's a Labour government. A number of the senior members are supported by the trade unions and therefore more likely to, be, uh, to have an affinity with them more so than perhaps a Conservative government uh, particularly one which, which tends to be a right-wing government uh, in England. On the other hand, uh, Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer, has a challenge, really, in the next general election. He and some of his members, I've no doubt, would like to be on the picket line. But to get into power at the next general election, he has to get Middle England. Because, as we know, that's the biggest chunk uh, apart from the, the, the so-called grey vote of, of, of older people, Middle England is what gets you into power. It's what got Tony Blair into power. He put policies that they could find acceptable. And there are probably a large number of those people who are commuters and who didn't find yesterday particularly helpful. Although having said that, large numbers of people did actually go back to what they were doing during COVID, 
which is to work from home. So whether that was his, his one of his concerns, I would have thought, yes, it must be in his mind uh, to concern himself with the next general election. It is going to be interesting. We're recording midweek and there doesn't seem to be any progress. So it seems that the remainder of the strikes are going to happen. But is there anything else you wanted to comment on the strike, Stuart? There's just, just one point. I, I'm, I'm no expert on the terms and conditions of uh, the employees of either Network Rail or the railways, except in very general terms. And Gemma will know an awful lot more about those terms and conditions than I do. One, though, of the old practices, which I feel quite strongly about, because it is very much in the, the position of, of supporting the future of the railway, and that is Sunday working. The uh, position at the moment is that railway employees work a six-day week and Sunday is an option. So that rostering can't compulsorily uh, put people into a Sunday working. The irony here is that tourism is going to be basically the, the, the financial savior of the railway industry. Commuting traffic is down 40% and is not likely to come back. And I think today, uh, or yesterday rather, and probably today and much of this week, uh, a lot of people who used to work from home under COVID, they've still got the communications kit, the computers, the phones, everything else that was put in by their employers, and they went back to doing that, and they're quite used to doing it. That doesn't help very much the financial position of the railway companies in generating more commuter re uh, revenue, but it also, in that area which is now really growing in terms of, of, of railway patronage, that's the leisure market, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That market is a very delicate, a very price sensitive market. And it does require a full team of drivers, conductors, um, maintenance staff, signaling staff and so on, to be able to be rostered onto the Sunday, given that that Sunday working restriction came from the 1850s, 1860s, when it was considered right and proper that everyone should be able to go to chapel or church on a Sunday and therefore you couldn't force people to work on that day. I think that's the one thing that, from a market point of view, I find difficult to uh, not re find difficult to live with in terms of trying to develop the railway's leisure market. I, I think that's all fair comment, and anyone who listens to me on social media will know my commentary on the, the future of commuting and the impact it could and seems to be having on rail and other transport um, but I, I see a lot of positives from that as well. Gemma, is there anything you'd like to pick up on that kind of area? Um, just as a rounding up from the original topic, you know, today um, Mersey Rail were able to negotiate with with unions and, and, and come to an agreement. So I think, you know, when individual operating companies can negotiate with the unions, you know, I think that's probably going to be the way forward to you know, stop industrial action. But also, you know, modernisation does need to happen. You know, people need to be in our stations could be, um, you know, multi-skilled, fulfilling lots of different roles, uh, you know, not necessarily being static within a booking office or on barriers and uh, flexing to the new customer needs. So, you know, whilst, you know, unions don't dispute the need for modernisation, I think in Wales, you know, we are in a social partnership. We do get around the table and discuss, but, you know, in England, that doesn't seem to be happening. So I don't necessarily see a way forward at present. And I think it may be a long, a very long summer of uh, disputes ahead, which, you know, that is going to impact the leisure market you know people uncertain about whether they can book their trips to go away so i do see that there'll be ongoing impact over the summer and there will be an impact on the 
recovery of, of you know things like tourism within Wales, but you know industrial action is supposed to be disruptive and supposed to show you know the worth of what workers do. So I understand the disruption, but I also feel for people that are you know having their pensions attacked, you know terms and conditions. You know this isn't just a pay issue. I, I think that's really useful to to make clear, and that I think we. We understand that, but there is money in the railways and it depends where it goes and it shows how important the workers are to that industry. OK, if we move away from the strikes there with that kind of thoughts of how the summer's going to pan out, you know, Wales is interesting, Stuart, and we've had you on the before on a wider transport pod. And this one is very much looking at rail. Can you just talk us through exactly how the rail system here in Wales works? What is devolved to Welsh Government and what's not? And how have we got in that position? Very simply, Network Row uh, operate all track in Wales. So everything which takes TFW rail services, Great Western, Cross Country and Avanti in the north um, is all managed in terms of repairs, in terms of new track, in terms of signalling by Network Rail, except for... In the in the next two over the next two years, all valley lines. But at the moment, it's that section between Radir and Merthyr, uh, Treherbert and Aberdare, which is controlled now by TFW. They've taken over the full operational responsibility for that, and they will be taking over all the rest of it, Radir down to Cardiff, down to the Bay, uh, up to Romney, in due course over the next couple of years as electrification is put in. Elsewhere, it is purely network rail. In terms of the trains, most of the internal, all of the internal trains in Wales are operated by TFW Rail. That is a Welsh government owned company. Uh, it is part of TFW, the, the, the government authority, uh, which, which runs the railways and will eventually be responsible for managing bus services, probably through the county councils um, in due course when the new legislation goes through. The only exceptions to that are the services which TFW run to Manchester and from North to South Wales, which go into England. But that's only because that's what the, the, the franchise contract is about. That's what TFW is about. All the other services, for example, Swansea through to Cardiff, through to Paddington and through to Bristol is operated by Great Western Railway. The services to Birmingham and Nottingham by cross-country trains and the services along the North Wales main line are operated by Avanti, which is the company that runs the services on the West Coast main line from London right up to Scotland. And there's a branch going off into North Wales. Some of those North Wales services, again, run by TFW as far as Chester, um, as far as Birmingham from Aberystwyth. Uh, so you've got a mix of companies, but local services and sort of more regional services in Wales are run by TFW. That's the vast majority of the trains, includes, of course, the Cardiff and Newport commuter services. Thanks for that, Stuart. So we're in a position, really, where very little of the network is overseen by Welsh Government. Gemma, do you see it anywhere in the future where further devolution of the network in Wales is likely to happen? Um, I think we've seen through some recent acquisitions that that may be the ambition. So, um, for example, you know, Transport for Wales is like an umbrella. It also looks after the Trouse Camry bus services. It's acquired Pullman Rail um, in Cardiff. You know, there's Flexi bus services, Active Rail, 
and then Traveline Cymru, the customer service, you know, helpline for all things transport, multimodal transport. Again, that's also been brought in-house. So I do see that, you know, through those acquisitions, that that is the overall aim on the Valleys Network in the Infrastructure Wales, deliver the, the, you know, the metro projects and the improvement there. So, you know, my inference is that that will be measured and the success of that scheme and to then see if that could be, you know, replicated elsewhere in Wales. But I think the aim is to reduce duplication and create more of a seamless multimodal transport network. So I, I do see that a more inclusive um, Wales, you know, focused approach is, is going to be the way forward with infrastructure possibly coming more in-house, but um, I've not seen any uh, any details on, on how that may look in the future yet. What Elena just said is, is absolutely correct. And I'd like to thank her for mentioning Charles Cymru, which I've forgotten about, unfortunately, which I set up 10 years ago for the Welsh Government. The future that the Welsh Government would like to see is undoubtedly they would take over, not necessarily the on-the-ground operation by Network Rail, but certainly the management of it in terms of fin fin financing and planning, which is what happens in Scotland. Though I think given that they have taken over valley lines, core valley lines uh, from Network Rail, that is surely the ambition of the Welsh Government is to set up Wales Rail for all services in Wales to be managed, both track signals and the trains themselves by agencies of the Welsh Government rather than agencies of the Westminster Government. I'm sure that we will still see Great Western trains going to London. We will see North Wales mainline trains going to London and the, the cross-country services going to, to Birmingham. I don't see the Department for Transport uh, in London giving up those services. Great British Railway is an organisation being set up by the Westminster government. They have offered in the bill or in the, in the introductory notes to the bill going through uh, the consultation process at the moment to set up a new British Railways, if you like. They have uh, provided for uh, the devolved governments of Scotland and Wales to hand over the management of their railways to Great British Railways should they want to. I can't see Mr Drakeford, I can't see Lee Waters uh, or any of the other um, ministers wanting to do that given also that the majority in the CNF is Labour, but also supported by Plaid Cymru. And Plaid Cymru's policies have always been for Wales to run Wales's railways. So I don't see the GBR, GBR offer uh, being taken up by Welsh Government. They would really like to extend, as, 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 as Gemma suggested, a full taking over of the whole of the network. Now, someone might say, well, this is going to cost a lot of money. Well, yes. And what happens in Scotland is that the block grant that Scotland receives includes money to maintain and expand the, the railway track network and, of course, train services. Scotland and Wales both control the train companies. Scotland, in fact, had sacked the company that had the franchise to run the trains and had taken it over into a company of their own. The Welsh Government pursued the existing um, legislation and are now the operator of last resort. But I don't see Mark Drakeford handing back that franchise to anybody else other than a TFW operation. So I think that's what the aspiration is in Wales and has been for a long time. I mean, this isn't 
anything that's just come up because of the strike or because of, 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 of core value lines in electrification. It's always been in place. And there is this now this association between um, Labour and Plaid Cymru, which I think strengthens that aspiration. Wales, I think, is going through a bit of a renaissance in its uh, rail network. And uh, there's significant changes in Welsh rail at the moment. And perhaps this is being led by the metro in the southeast. What's exactly happening in that area at the moment? Well, the, the, the so-called metro, and about the only people who call it the metro are people who work for the government. Uh, everybody else still calls it Valley Lines, and they'll probably carry on carrying it, calling, it, calling it Valley Lines. I did come up with a new name for it, which was Cum Vraw, which is Valley, um, uh, which is Valleys and available from Morgan in, in Welsh, which I thought was an absolutely perfect name for it. However, they, they insist on calling it the metro or Valley Lines, uh, as you prefer. Its principle is electrification. That's really what created this new structure in South East Wales. It includes part of the main line because the main line is electrified to Cardiff anyway, and that was, was funded by the Department for Transport. The Valley Lines electrification is funded largely by the Welsh Government, with some contribution from the European Union and uh, a small contribution from the Department for Transport. Now, that work is ongoing. It's an £800 million investment project, plus a further £800 million for trains a day out throughout Wales. But that little corner of Wales will have an electrified railway within the next two years. That's what's happening at the moment. The, uh, the pillars are going up, the wires are going up. There's a whole new infrastructure uh, being built, not now by Network Rail, but by TFW's rail engineers, who, most of whom have come from Network Rail. Um, but they are now employed by the Welsh Government's agency, uh, Transport for Wales. I think there's another issue, though, as well. A lot of, lot of concentration of, of mines has been on the metro. But there are several other lines in Wales. You know, Wales is not just Cardiff. Wales is the whole of the rest of the country. And within the, that area, we have lines like the Heart of Wales line, which requires some serious investment to make it a really top-class rural tourist railway. It has an, an enormous potential, which hasn't been drawn on. Well, it, it runs from Shrewsbury to Llanelli and Swansea, but it connects at Shrewsbury with trains from Crewe and Birmingham and Manchester and Chester. 87% of people now come into Mid Wales by car, and that can't be. The, the, the final position where we have a perfectly good railway running through there, albeit one that needs modernisation. 36% of those people come to walk. And in talking to them during the course of, of a part of last summer when we were allowed to, most of them were saying we would love to come by train if only the service on the Heart of Wales line was better than it is. If it connected in timetables with trains from Manchester and Birmingham if it was a more frequent service running, say, every two hours, because we come to Mid Wales to walk and we would love to be able to come into Mid Wales by train, park ourselves in a particular hotel or, or b and or whatever, and then we would walk from there. But also we'd like to be able to get on the trains and buses. So that brings us on to the sort of ticketing aspect, which is just as important as running the trains. People want an easy ticketing system. So a one week rover for Mid Wales. Well, we have a one-week rover for the whole of Wales, currently not very well advertised, I might add, but it is there. And that needs to be localised as well to encourage people 
do travel on some of these little, currently little used lines. The other one, I think, which has enormous potential is the Swansea District Line. Sorry, too much a technical term. It's the bit of railway that runs from just south and east to Llanelli uh, and avoids Neath General Station and Swansea High Street. But the plan is to build a new station at Junction 46, which would serve both Neath and Swansea, a considerably easier station to get to compared with Swansea High Street, where you have to fight the traffic. And even then you have difficulty to find somewhere to park if you go in by car. So this is a station on a junction with there's a large piece of government owned land. The old Village Steelworks is owned by Welsh Government and Swansea City Council. So there's room for a car park. It would take traffic off that really crowded bit of the M4 and enable trains to get to Carmarthen from Cardiff in, in 22 minutes less time uh, for a cost of about 25 to 30 million pounds. It's peanuts in terms of rail expenditure on major projects, but a major saving for people living in that part of West Wales, in Carmarthenshire, in Pembrokeshire, and indeed in, in Swansea, because they'd be able to get to the station far more easily than they could to a station in the centre of Swansea. There's a very noted social media rail commentator called Gareth Dennis, mm. and he recently picked up on the constant Twitter support for the Abbott to Carmarthen line, which, um, you know, is a bugbear of mine, but also looked at an alternative north-south north route in the east of Wales. These big ticket items, such as Abbott to Carmarthen, these are fanciful, really, aren't they, Stuart? They're very expensive. That's their only downside. From my heart, as a, as a, as a good Welsh-speaking Welshman, I'd love to see a railway line that enables us to travel only in Wales from north to south. Sadly, we don't have a section in the very north between Bangor, uh, Canalfon, down to uh, Putelli. We don't have a section which runs down the west coast. True, the Aberystwyth Carmarthen line could carry out that function. But it, it is a slow railway by comparison with others in terms of, of speed. Uh, the numbers of people living there is relatively small. And going back to Charles Cymru, Charles Cymru runs a service at the moment between Carmarthen and Aberystwyth, which takes just under two hours. Investing in that service, investment is being put into it now in terms of electric buses, that might be turned into electric coaches uh, with traffic management arrangements at a number of, of places en route to enable the buses to get past some of the, uh, the traffic hotspots where there, where there are traffic jams. That kind of operation, I think, is more suitable for that particular service. I know a lot of people will find that unpopular, but it was costed out, well, three, four years ago as 800 million pounds. There was an alternative at 500 million, even at that sum of money, the numbers of people living there are far too small to be able to, to justify that kind of investment. Whereas things like the Heart of Wales on the Swansea District Line are relatively small amounts of money in the tens of millions, not the hundreds of millions. And as a Carmarthenshire boy and a Carmarthenshire resident, I say that I, I should be saying, yes, we should have lots more railways in Carmarthenshire, but sadly, as an economist, I couldn't possibly say that. I tend to agree with you, having worked in the rail industry, some of the schemes we see do just have bugbears of mine. So I'm glad to hear an expert with your background here, you know, confirming that. There are, there are other schemes as well. I think 
we mm. should focus on some of the ones you've mentioned but last week to much fanfare there was um the first minister actually was part of the launch of a report which looked at the reopening of a line from Lantricent into Cardiff and Cardiff does seem to be garnering an awful lot of such projects along with Cardiff Parkway do, do you think Gemma that you know we should be looking further afield or do you think the economic and population hub that is Cardiff should be getting these schemes you know, there there are schemes that, that are helping people in, in other regions. So, you know, there is plans for a, a Swansea metro and a North Wales metro. But also, you know, as Stuart um, said, you know, there are bus schemes that link people up. So, you know, um, rather than Traverse with this Trouse Cymru and you can have one ticket, a seamless ticket, all those train and bus journeys. You know, I live in Newport. I'd love to see more trains in, in the Newport area. You know, we only have the one central station, but there are, you know, there's a fantastic scheme called Flexi, which is a transport for Wales scheme. Um, it's a bit like a taxi service, but it's a bus. So you just use your app. Um, I can get a, a you know, a, a Flexi bus to um, come just outside my house at the bus stop and it'll take me into the train station or other parts of Newport. Um, so for someone like myself who doesn't drive, um, it does offer me that confidence to maybe go out as a single woman, you know, later at night for shift working. Um, and also it means I don't have to go all the way into the city centre to go back out somewhere else, which I would have had to have done before, go into the bus station to go back out to another area of Newport. So I think, you know, there are more, there are non-rail ways that we can connect things, you know, thinking of active travel. I know there was a recent report looking at the corridor between, you know, Newport and Cardiff and looking at, at cycling lanes there. You know, Newport has got electric buses. You know, I think there's a lot more we can look at in terms of multimodal ways of connecting up transport in, in Wales, which may be slightly cheaper than putting down loads of track through scenic areas or disruption through, you know, um, areas where a lot of people are, are living. So I think we may need to look at more of that or maybe, you know, uh, trams, um, buses. Yeah. I, I think that's something I'd like to quickly explore while we're looking at rail. I do want to think that, um, you know, some of the big ticket public transport items are often overlooked by the, the traditional glamour of rail. And you, you mentioned Trice uh, Cambria, Trice Cambria, Stuart, but you set that up. Where are we with um, buses and active travel in Wales now? Well, two, two quite separate issues. In terms of active travel, uh, the current minister, uh, Lee Waters, who I've known for about 30 years, has always been a keen supporter of cycling in particular. He was director of Sustrans, for example, Sustrans Cymru, uh, for some years. I think he is very much in favour of trying to fund, where possible, local authorities developing uh, cycle routes. And there are a large number of people, I think, who, who could be persuaded to travel over short distances, not necessarily all the way to work, but they could be persuaded perhaps to cycle to a bus stop or cycle to a railway station so long as they knew their, their bicycles were going to be safe. So that opportunity, I think, is there. There's a new um, piece of track just been opened in Swansea. Um, it's part of uh, a study I carried out for a previous minister, uh, Mrs Hart, some years ago, for a cycle lane, for a cycle path from Ponte de Rilais through Gossainon into the centre of Swansea. Now, there are a large number of people along that particular route who I'm quite sure would be keen on cycling in on a safe piece of cycleway 
where there weren't cars getting in their way or them getting in the way of cars. Separating, I think, cycling from cars, they are two quite different modes of transport and they have totally different ways of operation. So I think the key thing is to separate them out and do effectively what happened in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, there are a large number of serious injuries and deaths of cyclists in contact with motor cars. And the Dutch government of the day in the 1970s decided that they would separate uh, um, cars, uh, well, sorry, motor vehicles and, and bicycles. And they went one stage further. They then said, we're also going to separate buses from cars. Cars will have great difficulty coming into towns. They'll park on the edge and they'll get the bus in or they can cycle in. Their position was that there were certain roads which could only be used by buses. And then alongside that bus lane was a cycle lane and then a pedestrian pavement. No cars at all. Uh, if you lived on that street, you could have a permit to use your car to get back and forth to your, to your home. But otherwise, no traffic along those pieces of roadway. Um, and massive bicycle parking areas at rover stations, at bus stations, at bus stops even. Uh, so I think that kind of Dutch-type provision, um, if he Waters wants to go through with his plans, it can't just be a bit of painted road, paint, sorry, a piece of a, a strip of paint on the side of the road. It has to be a proper cycleway separated from the roadway so that everybody is safe. Gemma, you mentioned you don't drive, and Newport's been the centre of a lot of uh, transport initiatives following the burns review, I think, as well as the Flexi scheme. There, there was free buses. I don't know if that's still going. Um, how, how do you find the kind of what, what's actually happening on the ground to encourage people out of cars? Um, I did make use of the free buses. It, it coincided with the opening of Newport Market, which was, which was regenerated. I, I, yeah, I regularly use the buses and find it a great way to, you know, to get around. And, you know, I don't drive. And the reason, you know, part of the reason why I chose the location where I live is that it was close to um, a bus stop. So, you know, that kind of consideration is uh, very important for me. In terms of cycles, there were kind of two facts I found really interesting. Um, the poorest 20% of the population on average can spend 25% of their income running a car. So, you know, I think through things like cycle to work schemes, if we can encourage people to, to make that switch, um, I think, you know, that would be a really healthy um, thing to do in terms of, you know, cost of living and, and, and people's health. But also regular cyclists are more likely to be men white, working and non-disabled. So 20% of men report to be regular cyclists compared to just 8% of women. You know, I think we can put all this infrastructure in place, but I think there do need to be schemes to encourage, um, you know, people from different backgrounds and, and women to um, take up cycling. I think for me, there's a confidence and not a competence gap in terms of women and cycling. Do you have the correct facilities in your workplace to enable people to, to cycle and feel comfortable? In that, I know in the headquarters for the company Wywick, you know, we do have showers, we have cycle storage, but is that the same for all, all facilities? You know, I don't, it's not the only reason why um, women don't cycle. Um, I know people, you know, women that run and that cycle uh, don't feel safe and, and are heckled. So I think, you know, we've got this aspiration to encourage more people to, to use that mode of transport. Um, but I think there's quite a long way to go in, in terms of, encouraging a wider cross-section to to take that up. 
I, I think that supporting infrastructure around active travel, such as secure uh, cycle facilities, showers, places to leave things is really important. Uh, I, I'm a cyclist, but you know, I'm fair weather, and, and as soon as it's wet, I get problems. <laughs> Stuart, you, you mentioned buses, and I did want you to bring that out, the current position. Uh, Welsh Government has a new plan for buses. You know, what is mm. it, and what do you think? The plan, uh, I'll tell you what I think at first, I think it's brilliant. Uh, the plan to franchise buses in the same way as trains are franchised enables all sorts of benefits to come to the traveller. There is a slight downside for the companies, particularly the bigger companies who would like to identify and do identify their core profitable network. Um, but, um, and, and, and I quite understand that. Yeah, they have shareholders, uh, they are a commercial investment. On the other hand, I think there are major benefits to having one ticket for all forms of transport. So the, the government's uh, white paper on this is, I think, pointing in the, in the right direction. What they're calling it is one network, one timetable, one ticket, planning buses as a public service for Wales. And I think the, the key issues in there are quite right. Um, it means not just the government in, in Cardiff franchising the buses throughout Wales. I don't think that's a sensible proposition. It's an option, but the better option is having a partnership. And we talked about partnerships at the beginning of this podcast, a partnership between Welsh Government, TFW and the county councils. It's the counties who know their local market. Some are better than others, but bringing those counties together, maybe as groups of, of counties as they were when the consortia were arrived, uh, around up to about 10 years ago, um, it meant that journey to work areas could be considered similar sorts of areas. So you'd have a journey to work area such as Swansea, but then you'd also have the rural area to the west of it, Ceredigion, uh, Pembrokeshire, Carmarthenshire, those all working together to create a bus network. But then the job of TFW is to make sure that that bus network fits in with the rail network and Transcumbery as the national networks. And it's getting that single network working, but realizing that the real knowledge on local bus services is locally. It isn't in Cardiff. The national networks can be run from Cardiff, but Transcumbria, though it's a national network, is run through the county councils with their help in terms of planning. But in essence, I think franchising buses, as in London, where you have one ticket, one network. Um, I know London has far more intensive operations than we have outside Cardiff and Swansea and, and Newport. But the principle can be the same, even if you have hourly intervals. And perhaps with hourly interval services, it's even more important that services do actually connect so that you get into Carmarthen Station, for example, on a Transcumbery bus, and that connects with the train also run by TFW. That's the kind of thing I think we're looking for. And that's what Transcumbria is trying to do. The train timetable is determined not in Wales, but in places like Reading and Crewe, because that's where there are a lot of trains coming from, um, um, so into and out of Wales. So Transcumbria always tried to meet with those services as best it could at places like Carmarthen and Aberystwyth um, and Bangor, 
so that when people got off the train, they could go further. And the idea is you can at present buy a through ticket from Cardiff, say, to Lampeter or Aberdeen, even though there are no railway stations, and you book on to a transcombe service that makes that onward journey from Carmarthen Station. Works really well. It needs a lot more pushing. People need to believe in it. Customers need to believe in it. And then people will start to make use of that. And I think that's what this policy is about. That's what will bring people back to the buses, to the trains, as long as those services are three things. They are reliable, they have integrated timetables, and the journey time is reasonable. That's what brings people away from their cars. It will mm. never be as fast as a car by bus, but it is by train. It is faster to get from Swansea to Cardiff by train now than it is to get there by car, especially in the peak times. One, one of the things uh, I've been struck by this summer uh, from the continent is the German public transport uh, ticket, which is nine euros a month for any public mm. transport in the country. And mm. I, I think the driver of that is to, to reduce the reliance on uh, Russian energy imports. But it should also be a major factor in attracting people to public transport. You know, I, I think price is a big issue. Um, Gemma Stewart, do, do you think that's something when the Welsh Government have greater control will be something we'll be able to look at replicating to bring people back onto public transport? I think for myself, it's not necessarily just price. Um, so I was reading, you might have read this book, Invisible Women by Carolyn um, Cardiparis, uh, and she said that um, the transport systems are replete with male biases and the way they're set up is around traditional commuter travel patterns. Um, and there's a bit of a system design failure. So women may have more multiple priorities, juggling, you know, complex travel patterns. So I think that needs to be addressed. You know, price wouldn't be the only consideration. You know, we're building a new bus interchange at Cardiff, just outside the bus station, and Ponty Pool's having one. That's happening across lots of locations. So I think things need to be streamlined more. I don't think price is always the main priority. Um, I do think that simplification needs to happen as well. So bus timetables need to link up with um, the train timetables. Things like Flexi offer you that. So it's very hard to get every service interlinked um, across Wales um, in terms of buses and trains. But if you've got something like a Flexi on-demand service, you can then, you know, plan around your, your priorities and, you know, use transport that you feel safe using. So I think for me, that would be, I, I don't think price is the only issue. You know, if you've got to use three modes of transport and none of them are interlinked, that's going to cause a problem. So you may not always choose the cheapest, you may choose the quickest. Not about, um, I agree with, with, with what, what Jim is saying. Price is important to some people. Women still form the biggest proportion of travellers on the buses, even after the free over 60s bus pass was introduced. Flexi is really good for those areas which don't have a regular bus service, but where you can run faster mainline services, if you like, Flexi came from Booker Bus, which uh, I'm very pleased to say I also introduced for the Welsh Government um, in rural, rural Carmarthenshire and Ceredigion. Uh, Flexi is the new name for it. And that provides that linkage, I think, into the bus operations. But to do that really effectively, all those systems have to be linked together. So there has to be some kind of controlling mind which says, this is what the timetables are going to be based on market research. 
we've done the full market research, not just on bits of the network, but on the whole of the network. And Wales can't just have one kind of network. Flexi is really useful in rural areas. It's proved, Book of Us proved its worth in linking into Charles Cymru and other local services. I think that's the future. And the government is going in the right direction in trying to integrate all these various forms of transport. Gemma, you did mention Invisible Women, uh, and that is a good book. Recommend that to anyone. And the built-in male bias. And one of the things when we were booking you for tonight, I noticed that you would cheer women in rail in Wales. Can you tell us a little bit about that and you know what 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 the objectives of that is? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's something I joined the steering group a number of years ago, um, but I recently become chair and. It's a national organisation that's completely free to join and we want to kind of bring an end to, you know, gender imbalance and, and biases within the railway industry. Um, we offer um, mentoring schemes, um, events, um, networking to, yeah, encourage a more younger and diverse workforce um, within the railway industry, which I think is really important. You know, there's a huge retirement cliff coming up in the railway, I think, over the next five years. 31% of the workforce are going to retire in Transport for Wales. 17% of those employed are women, but in roles such as driver functions, that, that goes down to 7%. Um, so, you know, as women in rail, we like to go out and talk to different groups, whether that be uh, school groups, you know, job seekers, and attract them into rail. You know, we're not going to be able to just pull on our traditional pool that we normally pull on to, to fill those huge gaps. You know, we do need to diversify to fill that huge, huge skill gap. And, you know, having different perspectives, you know, when you're building plans for things like active travel for Metro, you know, the broader that your pool is of people that are helping to design that, I think it, it'll be a bigger success. You know, you would have considered more people. Good luck with that. I think uh, addressing that built-in male bias in a lot of what we've got in society is essential. And um, that kind of retirement cliff you mentioned sounds quite worrying for the future. But I'm afraid that's that's all we've got time for tonight. So I'd like to thank you both for joining us. And uh, should people want to hear more of your thoughts, have you got a Twitter handle or other social media platforms they can contact you on? Stuart, what's best for you? Unfortunately, I'm in that generation, unlike the rest of you, uh, that don't have Twitter accounts or anything like that. But I'm quite happy for people to come through, through you if you want, and you pass on the email to me. OK, well, we'll see what comes in. Uh, Gemma, what's best for people if they want to hear more of what you have to say? Um, so I would head to the uh, Women in Rails, uh, Women in Rail, Women in Rail Wales um, uh, page uh, online, and we have a, a contact email address, which is wales at womeninrail.org. So if you're interested in joining us for an event, maybe speaking at an event, you know, you're at school and you'd like us to come and, and encourage people to join the railway industry, um, you know, please do get in touch. And for all things... TSSA and, and I work in that realm. Um, my Twitter account is uh, at Gemma underscore DS. And again, you can look at the TSSA website um, if you'd like to find out more about the work that we do, including things like inclusive rail campaigns. Um, it's not just about pay rises and terms and conditions. We also do a lot around um, inclusive rail, neurodiversity and such like. So you can find all the information there. That's great. Um, thank you both once again. If you've enjoyed this evening's pod, you can find more at our website, walespolitics.com, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Hiraith Pod. Thank you for listening to Hiraith. If you like what you heard, 
please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.